All right. What is up, everyone? Super excited to be here with you. Sorry about last week. I got into Santa Cruz about an hour or two later than I wanted to, so we had to throw an audible while I went and played Dela instead of doing my podcast. Sorry, <laughs> not sorry. This week, Cody Waldron is MIA. Once again, showing why he's the worst. Mm-hmm. He told us he'd be here, and clearly it's 6.38 on real time, and he's not here, so hopefully he'll jump in here shortly. But with that, we have, as usual, Josh, the carny from hell, Winter, <laughs> and Mr. CH Sports himself, Colin Hayden. What is up, Colin? Maybe. Did you just freeze? <laughs> now you're muted. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, sounded like to me that you froze. So I, I guess, yeah, that's something on my side. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just said, what is up? How you been? It's been a few weeks since you've been on here. What's been going on? Uh, nothing much, really. Just uh, focused on throwing Frisbee. All right. How's that? You, you've started a different job. You're working a little bit later. So what's your kind of routines have been looking like? Uh, wake up at like 6.30 every day, go to work for like 12 hours a day, and then sneak in a field work session before I go to sleep every day. <laughs> yeah, so more field work than course? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't really play too many rounds on the course these days. Have you noticed that like being like impactful in your tournaments at all? Uh, I think it mostly has just impacted my consistency just because like I get brutally reminded exactly what I can do with a disc every single day. It's not like you're like kind of imagining these lines. You get the perfect line one time. It's like, no, I go out to the field and I throw lines, throw lines, throw lines. And it's just like out in an open field. So I get reminded okay, this is exactly what you can do with this disc. And now it's more so about like figuring out how to make that line fit this course versus the other way around, which has helped my game. But yeah. Do you have a routine when you go out to the field? Yeah, I start with, uh, I have like, I used to be a, jeez, uh, 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 a sports administrator at the YMCA. So I have like a bag of, like random cones and flags and stuff like that. So I'll kind of go out and make my own little uh, 30 foot circle that I'll start with and go out to like 200 feet, practice my putter throws, bring like a bag of putters some days instead of bringing my regular bag. And then I'll back it up to like 250. It, It really depends on like what I'm trying to work on, but I generally start closer to the basket and slowly back up. Um, recently I've been working on my sidearm again, but that's just kind of kind of polishing, continuing to polish it up. Yep. Well, no, and like, and I would like to like see like what your transition looks like to on courses because I'm the opposite. Like, I don't do a lot of field work, but I'm at the course every single day, hammering like three, four throws. Sometimes off the tee, my up shots, you know, getting like real time putts. Because like one of the ways, like for me, like I was always taught, like there's no substitution for real time. So I put myself in real time. Um, granted, I still do putting practice. I'll get some field work in, but not a lot. And so what I notice, especially like when I travel, um, I'm really good off the tee pad, but I struggle with like open field up shots because mm. it becomes like, oh yeah, I'm not being tailored 
here's a T-pad pointing your whole direction, your line direction, like I've been used to. It's like now you have an open field. You're responsible for how you line up, how your body language is going. And so sometimes, like, I miss, like, oh, yeah, here's 350. It should be a routine hyzer. And, oh, wait, I started right. My hyzer's going way too far left off center. I should have been here. And so a lot of times I find that I struggle with, like, that when I'm on those, like, bigger par fours just because I don't have, like, the T-pad that's guiding me. And so for me, that's always been a struggle that I have to be conscious of making the adjustment. But I wasn't sure if, like, with you doing the heavy influx of field work, when you go to a tee pad now all of a sudden you have concrete underneath you you have a direction that's being pointed to you and how that starts to like differ for yourself i guess i've never really like paid attention to how that's affected anything yeah i'm not i'm not too sure if that's actually affected my game in terms of like saving me strokes or gaining me strokes so I'm not too sure. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I should start paying more attention to that. <laughs> well, maybe you don't. Because in, general, don't. <laughs> in general, I don't really pay attention to much when I'm playing. I think I'm like, <laughs> I'm better when I'm just like, lackadaisical, go with the flow and just step up and throw the disc. But yeah, I guess I should probably start paying a little <laughs> bit more attention to stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, maybe not. Maybe that's a good segment because not everybody knows who you are. If you want to talk a bit, a little bit about you, I can give you a proper introduction. Outside of CH Sports, he's an up-and-coming rising MPO player in the Northwest. He started the season out as an MA1 sandbagger, just shredding tournament after tournament. He got <laughs> got a little bit of like wins underneath him and branched up to MPO, and he's done the MPO grind this year of you know fighting to find that middle pack in a very competitive field. And he's had a lot of breakthrough tournaments and you know, just like everybody's starting to kind of battle and find that identity within the MPO field. But for me, that's kind of a little bit of a call-in. But I don't know if you want to introduce yourself properly, give a little bit more insight to some of that. But just so people tuning in for the first time can kind of get to know you. Yeah, so if you would have asked me if I was an MA1 bagger at the beginning of the season or not, no. Uh, <laughs> I think a bagger is somebody that wins tournaments by, you know, eight to ten strokes and they don't have to play their best to get there. Uh, if you go and look at all my wins, I don't know if it's because I can't like pull out a win successfully or uh, I'm just, you know, wasn't that good at the time. But every single one of my wins is by like one or two strokes, had to get a birdie to finish, had to like stretch it to a playoff and get the win that way. So I don't know who's a bagger out here, Paige, but it might be you. <laughs> uh, I'm not getting the wins. I'm not getting the wins. That's for damn sure. Anybody who wins in front of Paige is a bagger. Anyone who wins is a bagger to Paige. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, like Paige said, I'm kind of in that weird transition phase that a lot of people get into. Like, I've won, I think it's seven MA1 events now. So I'm, like, starting to get to that point where it's – even when I don't play well, I could win an MA1. Like, I, I'll look at the scores in MPO, and I'll finish, like, 10th in MPO, but that still would have been good enough for the win in MA1. So I think that was kind of the decision that helped me – decide to move up and now that i have i'm kind of in this weird middle ground phase where like if i cash that's a really good weekend because here in oregon <clears throat> there's a lot of like really good thousand plus rated pros at any event that you show up to it doesn't matter if it's a c tier b tier a tier it doesn't matter what you show up to you're gonna have you know one of Louis nava andrew nava justin anderson chris nelson 
uh, Cole Radolin even comes and shows up to some of our local events. Scott Withers, obviously. Like we we just have a lot of ballers here in the Northwest that like literally anybody could show up and win. And then not not only beyond that, we also have a solid group of like 990 to 970 rated guys that if they play well, any one of them could win as well. So it's definitely a very competitive thing. And there's a reason why when guys go step out on tour from Oregon, they're ready for it. Like Sexton has proven that the Oregon scene is like very strong. And when you go out, when you go out on tour and prove your worth and go win USDGC that it shows that like our local scene is definitely something that's preparing you to go do that. Um, and so I'm kind of in that phase where it's like, if I play well, maybe I pop off, get into the top 10 and, you know, cash or whatever. Uh, but when I don't play well, I'm not reaping the benefits of like what I was in MA1, but I'm also learning a lot faster. So there's, there's a catch 22 to that, but. No, and I think that's like a big battle of that. Like I remember playing the MPO tournament early this year and I didn't even cash. And then I looked down at MA1 and it's like, oh yeah, I would have won by two strokes. And I remember driving back because it was like a three hour drive back. And I'm just like, well, what am I really trying to do here? Am I trying to break through on this very challenging MPO field? Or am I going to take a win? You know, Or am I wanting to win? And then it's like, I think we're having that conversation earlier when we are playing today with like the idea of like what you surround yourself with and that kind of, crabs in a barrel mentality of like, well, I was playing with MPO and I won by like MA1 by two strokes, but that doesn't guarantee if I go down MA1 and I play with them that I'm going to be winning by two strokes because you're going to have a card sometimes of three people that you don't know that vary from 880 golf to 940 golf. And really a lot of times it's going to be like, you know, up and down and ebb and flows. And so that's going to like impact your game overall. Like I'm really working on how can I stand alone and keep my game to not be impacted by those around me, but I haven't figured that out yet. So it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, here's my game surrounded by MPL players and it's above like average, but I don't know if I can transfer that. So it's like, oh yeah, like trying to figure out what does that start to look like and how do you kind of balance it? And I think that's like a very real battle for everybody because I remember when I first jumped up to MEA1, it was that instant commitment of being like, I want to play with better people they step into circle one and they're hitting their putts. They're feeling confident in there. And I want to feel that. And then all of a sudden I was feeling that. And now it's a whole different kind of ballpark of being like, you know, like how do we start to form that identity? And for me, like, I think I told you this before, I'm like six months behind you. I'm still trying to chase you, you know, and, but it's like, oh yeah. Like that's why I like these kind of conversations of being able to see like where this growth is going to happen and trying to navigate. But I think we're both different. I know I overanalyze a lot of things. That's kind of my background. <laughs> and you definitely are just like, well, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm going to jam. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm for sure a, a field player. And that, that's actually why I enjoy playing with you because it, it gets to the point where, like, like you said, like you notice things about my game that I literally would not have even noticed. Like would not have paid attention to the fact that I only do field work. So like the strength of my game should be in the field, right? Like this is literally the shot that I've thrown a thousand times. I should just step up and do it. And uh, yeah, I've never even paid attention to that. Like I just literally grab a disc that I think is going to fit for the hole and step up and throw it. Cause as soon as I start <laughs> thinking about other factors, it's like, Oh, the wind could push it this way. Or if I grip lock it this way, it could go out of bounds. If I, I don't know. I just, I don't even try to think about any of that extra stuff. I just step up and rip it. 
No, I mean, just like you were talking about, there's a hundred different ways to throw a disc. There's a hundred different ways to approach the game and, you know, finding that kind of for yourself and what that starts to look like. Because, I mean, I always joke about like, oh, that'll fire that in my spank bank for like amazing shots. And if you go and look at my spank bank and you look at the inappropriate images and you get to the disc golf section, yeah. you'll see half of those are like other people's shots. I remember playing with people and being like, oh, yeah, like I haven't seen you for like six months. But on this hole, this is what you threw. And I, it's like forever like immortalized in my mindset. Like I think about hole 10, uh, Horning's hideout on Meadowside, that big panning. Like the first time I ever played that, I had a buddy step up with a grim, like a glow grim X. And he hits it on a force over line and peers that gap. And it's still one of those that are like forever cemented in my mind. So when I step up, like that mind's eye is looking at that perfect shot and for me, like I become more likely to hit it because I can see it. Um, mm. And that's how I hold on to these shot shapes. And it's just like, oh, I don't need to know what I'm going to throw. I just need to know that I'm trying to recreate this shot. And this is what it looks like. And for me, I take a lot of comfort in that. But it sounds like you're definitely different than that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't even remember like what I just ate for dinner. Like I try to <laughs> get it out of the mind as quickly as possible. Uh, I think I, I get a lot of that mindset. I grew up playing competitive basketball a lot of times and a lot of your coaches will tell you like good shooters have really short memory because they, you know, there's, there's times that even Steph Curry will miss four five, six, seven shots in a row. But if you don't step into that next one with confidence, you're probably not going to make it. So uh, I don't know. I think that's just kind of the mentality that I've brought to disc golf. If I don't step up to this shot with confidence, it's probably not going to go well. Even, even if I'm not capable of that shot or like, if I didn't correctly analyze the wind or the situation or whatever, at least if I step up with confidence, it has, you know, a chance to be a good shot. If I step up and I'm overanalyzing, even if I have like taken in all the factors and that may help me if I'm overanalyzing it and then leads to not being confident, then I would rather just step up and throw the incorrect shot, but throw it with confidence at least. So no, definitely different mentalities for sure. Yeah. No, and I think that's important. I think that's like in this whole Gemini's in the Rough when we start to talk about like different viewpoints from different levels of the game. I think that's always important to see because it's like for me, like you come from a basketball background, so short-term memory is very like, you know, important, especially even in your golf background, right? That's an important side of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas me, I'm coming from like a wrestling background, a wild horse chasing background where instincts and habitual movements are going to save me milliseconds, which are going to cost me like wins, right? Like I need to be able to hit the horse's shoulder and know that my hands are moving before I have the idea in my mind to move my hands up. All of these things need to be reacting. And so a lot of like when I focus on people's shots, it's because it's going to be like, okay, if I can visualize this, my body's going to match that and it's going to do that. The moment I can't visualize it, which is a lot of times like I remember when I uh, at Kids App Classic, I smashed a drive, shanked a drive. I shouldn't even say smash. I shanked a drive over water, overturned it, but the disc was so overstable, it fought out and put me through this landing zone that's optimal. It was a putter up shot, but I'd never been there before. And mm. I'm sitting there like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And that for me, like, froze, and I ended up taking a par where it should have been the easiest birdie of my life. Take your pick, putter flat. A putter, hyzer, chip, forehand, anything. But I've never been there before. And because I couldn't visualize what this shot looks like because it's uphill, plateaus, flat. And because I couldn't visualize that, I ended up taking a part. And I find myself a lot of times getting in trouble because 
I account for when I come into tournaments a 10% power increase. That means I'm going to be hitting like my shots 10% harder. I'm not going to have the control and touch because I'm going to lean on that rip and that torque to get like, calm my nerves. And I know that about my game. And so I can anticipate that. But what I can't anticipate is being in a brand new spot. And I think like Blue Lake this weekend, I've been all over the fairways. So I'm really surprised when I get to those new spots and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I mean, different way of looking at the game. What about you, Josh? How does it, how does the game start to look like for you? I mean, it's, I don't really uh, approach it in any way like you two do at all. And that's why like, you're in May too. Let's move on. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> oh, no, I, I get it. I, I, I know who I, who I do this with. Um, no, I like uh, I do a lot of practicing in like the backyard. I got a fairly large backyard to where I can do um, like long putts with my like my temple or my I don't know what I'm using. Just like up shots, from, like 100 feet out. Just trying to lay it up right next to the basket. Just trying to get more accurate right there. Because when I go out to the course, because I when I go play, I just go out there and just rip it. I don't really think about it. And mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I hit trees, sometimes I don't. Um, but one thing I'm getting better at is hitting my lines from working on like where I place my body in like the tee pad. Hmm. Um, so my practice is on the course always. I don't really do field work very much. And I just focus on one thing at a time. Like right now, like I'm focusing on where I'm at in the tee pad, where I start my feet on the tee pad. Um, and then like the follow throughs, like from the release. Um, and then once I feel like I got that down, I'll like look at something in my game that I'm not doing well at, and then just focus a week or two, three weeks on that one piece, and then move forward. But. Yeah, no, and I think that's, I mean, I think the reason like I asked, like it's really good to get in that mindset because I think a lot of people do just that. And then if you can start to like build on that, and you can start to hear a little bit of what Colin's sharing, what about like a little bit I'm sharing, you can start to kind of see like that little bit of difference. Because I think I was the same way where it's just like half the time I'm set, stepping up and I'm just trying to rip just because like like before like I was pushing like 450, it was like pushing 400 and it was just like, well, there's no difference of 350 and 400 on this hole because I'm still going to have a 350 to 400 foot upshot from there, you know, so it doesn't really matter or I'm not going to birdie with this shot. So I just need to cover distance and make par, you know, easy. And so... I mean, I think it's just like the game. It's just I think we talk about worlds right now, and you start to see people's like way in which they attack the game. Um, you listen to like commentary how they talk about Paul. Oh, his putting's off, and he's like ninety percent putting. But it's like he said his putting's off, and you can guarantee he's going after this and getting a couple hours of practice and putting, and he's gonna fix that. And he didn't necessarily fix it day two because it was still shaky. But here's day three. And you're watching his putts fall, and you're seeing that Macbeth swag and him walking off. And it's like, oh, if you follow that storyline, here here he is making real-time adjustments. And I don't think a lot of people, like, account for that because it's – you can't, right? You can't unless you're having those conversations. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I think, Colin, um, I know last time you talked about uh, – taking a step and pausing some of your tournament filming, but I just saw that you CH sports is going to be filming this weekend's tournament. You want to talk about kind of finding that healthy balance of being able to play a lot more of disc golf and now finding like, you know, a way in which to get some filming done. 
Yeah, so I think <clears throat> really for me is I wanted to make a concerned effort to change up my routine or not really my routine, but I guess the things that are important to me in life, like uh, I just wanted to make it very clear that my priorities stand, be good at disc golf as a player, and then make good coverage after that. Like I, I wanted to make sure those two things were very clear. So for me, in order to do that, I had to really dive into building a routine in disc golf as far as being better as a player. And then after that, figure out how much time I have left over for making coverage. So I wanted to make sure step in. Okay. This is what my routine looks like outside of that. I have this allotted time that I can make coverage with. And so every once in a while, when my schedule opens up, I'm, I'm able to make coverage and I still have all the video equipment and I obviously have the know-how of how to do it. But uh, for me, I just wanted to make sure that I'm focusing on my game and getting better at the game before any of that coverage stuff happens. So it's almost like when you have like, your mom telling you like, you got to have your grades first before you get to go play the video games or you get to go play, you know, whatever it is that you're, you're, you were doing as a kid, but you got to make sure your grades are there first. You got to get the homework done. You got to get your chores done. You got to get that kind of stuff done. And to me, that's, that's how I look at disc golf now. Like this, you know, if I, if I want to make a career of this someday, then I have to t put that first. I have to make sure that I'm giving it a concerned amount of time to get better at this game. And then after that, maybe I can open up some of my time to coverage. But before it was very much the other way around. And I found it, I found it very hard to get better than where I was because I was never putting in more time. I was never putting in more effort. I was never, uh, you know, ma making like a, cons like an actual effort to get better at this game. It was always like, well, I got like one hour here. Let's see if I can just try and throw some shots and get better. Like now it's no, I have this a lot of time in my routine that I'm going to get better. And well, no, and I, I would say it's worked out a little bit. No, I think it, I mean we talk about our growth. I think we like especially for your tournament grinders. I think you get this blind spot where you fail to see your real time growth. It's like watching a puppy grow. You're around it every single day that a year goes by, you don't realize how big it got until you look back on the picture and you're like, oh shit, this went from here to now here. And I think our disc golf varies that same way where if you look at Colin at the beginning of the year, myself at the beginning of the year, and I'm sure Josh at the beginning of the year, where that growth has came like in real time to now, I'm I'm like, couldn't even imagine me being here and being like this good. And I don't feel like I'm playing so much better than I was uh, in January but everything indicates that I am and I'm on an upward swing. I've seen 10, 20 golf at this point. Well, 10, 15 golf at this point. Collins has seen 10, 35 golf. Like we've seen like higher levels of it. And I couldn't even imagine what 10, 15 golf looked like. And now I can. And because of that, I'm able to kind of capture that. Do I have bad days? Hell yeah. I'm taking I'm pretty sure I'm going to take a step back for the first time in my career, this rating update, but that doesn't mean that I'm taking a step back in my game. It just means like there's this little bit of learning growth now that we need to kind of navigate for. And I think with you, it's kind of doing that like, okay, well, how do I start to like balance and find a balance of filming, which is fun and exciting, but disc golf, which I really love and want to be playing like you're doing this juggle now with it all. And like one isn't more important than the other. It's just like still giving yourself that time to grow, develop your game, harness that game, and feel like you're 
keeping pace with, I mean, how or how quickly like CH Sports is taking off and was taking off. Like you want to make sure that you're matching that and keeping up with it. Yep. Well, I mean, that's cool to me. <laughs> I get excited about it. <laughs> I just get excited that Colin's back because, I mean, your whole premise was bringing a spotlight to Northwest Disc Golf. And I think you look at the Pro Tour of like Worlds right now, I think we have the most like Oregon representation like that's been there for like at least Northwest representation that's been there in the last, I don't know, five years. I think last year it was kind of like looking, there's only like two or three that really like decided to kind of go out there and make a big push, maybe more than that, but you know what I mean? But it's like, I feel like we have a legit showing this year. Yeah, for sure. So have you guys been watching the worlds? Yeah, hundred percent. FPO, MPO. I mean, I catch, I catch most, mostly just the FPO. And then like, that's right around the time, like work's getting busy. So it's like, it's on the TV, but I can't watch F, uh, MPO too much. Um, but watching Ella Hansen hold her own for two days yep. and then fall back today. Yeah. That's one thing. Like the fact that she's come, came into the game with not very much disc golf experience, you know, you got ultimate Frisbee, which it does. And there's parallels. Um, but watching her grow as a disc golf player was, it's, it's really fun to watch. Um, but she does this thing though, where she does really well first two rounds and the third round, she starts to fall back a bit. I'm curious what that is, what's caused that to happen. Because it's not the first time. But with Worlds, you know, you got five rounds. And I think you look at Worlds, like, the reason I love five rounds, what, three courses or two courses this time? Two. Two? Two. Two courses. It's anybody can win a two- to three-day tournament. Anybody. But then this is where, like, that experience, that being in the like in this position consistently, learning how to win these things, I think it we're going to carry – like those next steps, because that's when you start to see, like, you know, Ricky Wysocki, day two, made a huge push. Today, he made another big push, and he's, like, right there in it. And that's that experience. And you're going to see, like, Tristan Tanner, a lot of people were expecting him to fall off, but he stepped up in a big way today. Can he do that for two more days? You know, that's, like, been unproven, which is, like, that, that tough thing. Whereas all of his other competitors have been proven. When you talk Ella Hansen, it's still that kind of new, this is my first time being here. How do you deal with day three, keeping pace? And it's not even like winning. It's like, let me keep pace with everybody else and put myself in a position to continue to keep pace to hopefully Mm -hmm. eventually somebody else will fall off and I break through. And, I mean, even like Tatar, you start to see them struggling, but they're able to keep a pace that is going to keep them in it until they have another big day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I can definitely like attest to my own experience. Like I think the the difference is everybody's going to struggle at some point. Every, everybody that has gotten to that level is a very good disc golfer and has proven it at some point, but everybody is going to struggle. And so I think when everything's going well and everything's clicking in your game, it's easy to like, just say, Oh, she's having a great weekend. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden when you start struggling, the great players will turn what, would normally be like a career bad round or just a bad round in general and turn it into at least a decent round. Like that's what happened with Kristen yesterday. And even today, really, she, you know, threw out of bounds a couple of times after, you know, the first round she didn't throw a B she didn't take a bogey. 
She like put together pretty much a flawless round, first round. Second round comes out, throws OB immediately. Uh, you know, picks up a couple bogeys pretty much right away, but finds a way to pick pick up a couple birdies here and there, and then just play conservatively from there on out. And you know, she's still in the mix after round two versus you know, kind of today with Ella, she struggled right away, couldn't find a way to bounce back. And then, you know, that, that type of round turns into, you know, takes you out of the tournament type of round versus, you know, could have easily been, okay, let's pick up these couple holes that I know I can get even on a bad day, get it back to one, two, three under par. And at least I'm still in the mix, whether, you know, whether I'm in the lead or not, at least I'm still in the mix. Well, I think that's good, too. Like, you look at, like, Eagle today on coverage. She cut his finger on some glass, yep. and he went to his bag. He had crazy glue, like the super glue, which is, like, you know, super quick to, you know, with big wounds. You put it on there, and it dries up, hardens, and it gives you the extra layer of skin. He was prepared for that. Yeah. Who here carries super glue or sports tape in their bag just in case they slice their finger open and they need to continue? I can guarantee it's going to be a very small percentage, and so it's like that's where you start to see like this next level of like players and their preparedness. Tristan Tanner threw out of bounds. He took like a, what a six on a, like the par five where it was kind of a soft par five. Everyone's birdieing. He took a six, followed it up with like a tough par, and then he's right back on track. Like it's that like what Colin is saying that being able to kind of like hold that little bit of moment and then do what you need to do to get back into it. Um, instead of letting it like manifest and blow up, which I think, I think we all have a tendency to do it myself. Like I blow up probably way too much where it's just like, let me just throw like one good shot and I'll be fine. And then I spend like the whole tournament chasing one good shot. And then I throw it at the end and then, you know, I'm not anywhere near contention. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's super easy to slip into that. I call it the dark space. Like it's so hard to like, and then once you slip in there, it's so hard to find your way back out. Like I, I've never done it successfully mid round. Like I don't know how people rack up a couple bogeys and then they're like, okay, now I'm gonna start birdieing. I don't know how in the world people have ever done that. Because for yeah. me, it's like, uh, let's just wait till next round. This is my blow up <laughs> round. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I say. It's like, well, I never, I don't have two bad rounds, so this is my one bad round. Next round's gonna be amazing. <laughs> Let me yep. just make it through. <laughs> which is totally not the right mindset. Nope, not at all. <laughs> yeah, see, I, like what happened with me, though, um, I either have like a bad round the whole time or I'll have a really good round and I'll have a, a shot that's just amazing to me. And the adrenaline from that good shot, uh, it messes up my game. Like the two, like I, I was doing really well in the two tournament aces I've had, um, after those tournament aces, I, I bogey or double bogey the next two holes on both yep. times. Just because, like, my head's in, like, I just aced this hole. And I don't care anymore. I just aced it. I could walk off the course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A practice round, I, I birdied hole 11 at Blue Lake for the first time. And I was like, this is like an ace to me. I just finally birdied this hole. This is amazing. And I went on to go like bogey, bogey. And I was like, I don't even care. Like, this is practice. I just got that birdie. These ones don't matter. Like, let me just, you know. And it's like, it's like that. Like, how do you, like, a lot of people talk about, like, I just bogeyed. Let me get this rebound stamp. But nobody talks about, I just birdied. I just birdied. I just birdied. How do I keep this train going? Oh, my God, I'm doing really good. Like, don't mess this up. Like, all of that, like, hype. Like, oh, yeah, like, 
the like where Colin was saying, like the best way to do is have a short-term memory. Forget those bogeys, forget those birdies, try to find this little lane that you acknowledge it, feel good, and then build on it. <laughs> yep. Because, I mean, I'm at the point where it's like I see these pros and you're seeing at them for the first time, all 18 holes are birdieable. And they're starting to hit double digits. For me, when I look at my game and I go to a course, all holes are birdieable. And I'm coming out of there with like three or four birdies. And I'm just like, okay, like, how do I start to like turn that on and be like, okay, if all holes are birdieable, I'm not even talking like big bomber courses or whatever. Like it can be like a pit putt putt. Like here's a nine hole course. All of them are birdieable, if not aceable. How do you leave there seven or eight down? like realizing what that course could offer. Um, and that's where like, I feel like I'm really trying to figure out what that next step looks like because I'm starting to see these pros when you start to see like that middle of the pack. Now that's kind of dropping away. might not be that cut line. They're doing the three or four or five birdies. Um, and they're not really being able to put together all like, not even like all of them, but like 10 of the 18 holes, which seems like, Oh yeah. Half of the holes, you just got a birdie, which is a lot. Don't get me wrong, but it's like, well, they figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Like our courses. Make... Go ahead. Well, when do they make the cut in, in Worlds? Uh, Saturday. The... Saturday? Okay. Because we're on what? Day three. Two? No, so now we're moving on to day four. Okay. And Saturday is the final, final round. Then, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, do you know how many people are going to be left after the cut? It's like top 20%, right? 45%. 45%. Well, 45%. 45%. And then 40% cash, yeah. So you can make the commit and not cash. Okay. Yeah. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. Yeah. Because like, like, the, the people that are there, I, th I think it's actually because now that they've remixed the pools, it's whoever's in left in A pool, pretty much, unless there's like people that have shredded from B pool to get back into it. But it's the amount of people that are in A pool right now. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. That makes sense. I mean, like, even with uh, like going back to Ella for a second, like she only dropped with this bad round. She only dropped down like I think tenth or eleventh, something like that. Yep. Um, so she could just come out tomorrow and just rip it. We've seen it on day one. Yep. Like I mean, then that's the great thing about this tournament. They have two full days, and being able to go ten down on that course is doable. But also being four down is also really doable. And that's where I think you're going to see these. That's that storyline. That's where you see these people make these big pushes from chase card, third card, fourth card. Like like Ricky yesterday. He went from like 42 spots jump on that day to be in contention. And then he was chase card. And now he's making another jump. And it's like, especially like FPO, I feel like none of them are truly out because they're one big round like away from getting right back in it. But I need to stop and pause and be like, what is up with FPO biased commentary? I am like <laughs> so annoyed at it. Like I had the commentators Jenkins and Elaine King like legit say Evelina cannot and will not win worlds because like her putting is so atrocious. But it's like for me, it's just like that's one part of the game. But you look at 100% fairway hits, no bogeys, that kind of you're allowed to miss three or four putts because you're not taking those bogey strokes that everybody else is taking. So you're able to miss those things. And for like somebody to be blatant and be like, this person is not going to win worlds. It's stupid when they're putting together like a top four push on day one, when they were saying that, and here they are 
right back in contention. We have three Europeans on the top of FPO, which, by the way, Paige called it here that Europe's going to dominate. I'm just saying. Um, but, like, for me, like, I can't get over that biased commentary. It's really yeah. just, like, irritates me when I listen to it. But also, like, even with those comments, like, Evelina's sitting, like, one back. Yeah, she's yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, she's in the mix, though. Yeah, yeah. Like um, that's one stroke difference from the from first place. Right? Well, because so. just as much as you could say, if oh, if Evelina could just make a couple more putts, she would be the best player in the world. It's the same thing. Like if Missy Gannon could just keep it in bounds, like she she would be one of the best players in the world. Like there's everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, and you can take it to literally any player that plays this game. And Evelina's struggle just happens to be on the putting green. But guess what? She's going to give herself a lot of opportunities. And even if she only makes half of them, that's enough to be in contention. Yeah. And she's proven it. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, and she hits all of her birdie putts that she missed. She cleaned up the par. She yep. didn't let those be like, oh, let me three putt this, take this bogey. No, she followed them up. And it's just like for me, it's just not even like that. You look at like commentating, like for even like for MPO, they weigh. They talk about like you know a Macbeth or a Waisaki. They're still like don't carry that over where you're watching like Gossage like absolutely shred, and there's still that little bit of a doubt of being like, well, look, here's Ricky. He's talking about it's just a matter of time till these other players fall yeah, under stress. But here's Gossage, and look at what Gossage said. Like that just like irritated me. It's like why are you picking apart an after the round interview? And over reading and over analyzing, like a very innocent comment. Yes, at a context, I can see what you're getting at, but why are you building Ricky up and you're all of a sudden bashing Gossage? You know, and it just, <laughs> like, yeah. like, I just can't stand that side of it. <laughs> you know, like they're, they already talk about Tristan Tanner and Aaron Gossage going into the round. Like, okay, when are these guys going to fall apart? Like, when when is the moment that these guys are going to fall apart? Like, they don't even take them as like, legitimate threats and it's funny because i i guarantee ricky and paul don't look at them as legitimate threats either but yeah i'm gonna laugh when aaron gossage wins worlds though <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well and i think and that's i mean and i guess it goes to show like how good disc golf like golfers really are and i don't know if you'll reevaluate it but you put this many people in a tournament yes a lot of the the normal names are going to pop up to the top because they should but for as many times like repeats as we had this year, we've had brand new like uh, pro tour champions this year, and it's at any given time they're able to break through and just like go absolutely shredding because they're still professional disc golfers. You know, I think about like you know when they talk about football and basketball, and people talk about yeah, this practice squad for this basketball team will dominate any NCAA team because they're just that good. Yep. And you might not think about it, but that's very true in a lot of like sports. And I think we're starting to get to that point to where and we're not quite there. Don't get me wrong, but we're starting to see like pro disc golf and what that truly means that at any given day, any one of these like top 40 like players can win like this big of a tournament. Um, or at least put themselves in a position to, I know it's not over and we don't need to get ahead of ourselves, but you know, they are at least able to put themselves in those positions. Well, I think we've already kind of seen it. Like yeah. If you polled everybody that paid attention to disc golf in 2018, would anybody say that Greg Barsby and or Paige Bjorkis was the best player in the world? Probably true, true. Like, <laughs> you know, like that, like those guys, I, I don't even know if Greg at the time was a top 10 player on tour. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he ended up popping off at the right time and won a world championship. So, like, I think 
our sport is getting significantly more down that road. Like I'm, I come from a background of ball golf. Like anybody that gets onto that stage, I don't care if you're the, the worst player in the field. If you have a good day, you have a good day and you, you could be in contention after, after the first day or the second day or whatever. And that, we just saw that in one of our majors, this guy named Cameron Smith just won the open. Nobody's ever heard of this guy, but it, it, that, that kind of stuff happens all the time in ball golf. Like Adam Jones, a couple years back, got his first win. Ricky Fowler, that's how he got out on tour. There's a lot of people that just like randomly pop off. Nobody's ever heard this guy's name and they get a win. Like you don't even blink twice at like an Aaron Gossage story. Like, and Aaron Gossage has already proven that he's a solid player. Like he's yeah. you know, already been in the mix at a lot of different tournaments. And if you follow disc golf, like, you know, who Aaron Gossage is, there's a lot of people that are even further down that board. Like imagine if like a nine ninety rated guy just randomly popped off in his winning worlds. Like that happens in ball golf all the time. Well, and I think we've talked to you, like, I mean, we've talked in. a lot about, uh, okay. Yeah, we got Sorry. somebody from no, Go yeah, we got somebody from Facebook saying Conrad didn't win another tournament besides Worlds last year, and has not won one this year. That's Anything true. can happen. But see, I feel like that gives like I think Conrad a little like lack of credit because yes, he didn't win anything last year or this year, but he was like consistently top ten, top five, all of the tournaments like up before that. He had a pretty big like streak going on. He was very rarely not in that top ten mix, and so for me, it was just like that was a matter of time when he won kind of like i i think similar to like heimberg where heimberg's always in that mix always in that mix but heimberg's getting a few wins here and there now um but like conrad like with his like even before his switch and then after his switch i think he was always still right there in that contention um but i think about people like maddie o mm -hmm. we always hear about maddie o coming in his first worlds boom top five and then you know not like not that he'd ever like wasn't successful he's continues to be successful and dominant but he's not consistently being like you know top three every tournament um and i think some of those like even emerson keith always pops to mind like he always besides like i think this year but keith always shows up for worlds and doesn't necessarily show up for all of the other tournaments and i mean it's a whole different game and a whole different mindset and i really like how last year's worlds was a little bit more wooded and technical and this year we're getting a little bit more of like big distance and technical because it's also not just big distance. You know, I don't think the biggest arms are like right now at the top three <laughs> where yeah. you would be like, oh, yeah, it's only yeah. a distance course. Like you're starting to see like placement matters like Gossage in his forehand. His Gossage in his one angle forehand, which takes mm -hmm. out all of like the like, well, could it, would it? It's like, no, it's going up and it's going down. <laughs> but yeah, so I like that. I like to see that. So going back to like another wooded technical or kind of a technical in between, like next year would be really cool. It's going to Vermont. Vermont. Okay. Yeah. That'd be sweet. Yep. It's going to be at uh, where they have the GMC at. Mm -hmm. Okay. That'd be cool. Well, I mean, do you want to take our predictions two days early? Who do you Let's guys think it. is going to win Worlds? FPO and MPO? I'll start. I'll go FPO is going to miss again. She's gonna make a push. Ooh, take okay. I'll always open missing. Starts back <laughs> for her. And then uh, MPO. Um, I think Heinberg's gonna take it. That'd be cool. Okay. That would be cool. Colin. Uh, let's start with FPO. 
You know what? Just despite Elaine and Valerie, I'm going to give it to Evelina. And she's going to all of a sudden catch fire on the greens and not miss another secret circle one putt for the rest of the tournament. That's a big claim right there. Hot take. Hot take. <laughs> hot take, hot take. Uh, and on the NPO side, it's really hard for me to bet against Paul. So if, if we were making bets for this, I would probably go for Paul. But I also I also really want to root for the underdog, so I'm going to go with my boy Aaron Gossage. No, I like that. I like that. For me, mine's not going to be as exciting. I think FPO, I think Tatar with these two lackluster days is going to turn it on and have a big like fourth and fifth like day push and just reminded that you know she's there she's used to winning and it's hers to like lose and i don't think she's going to lose another major this year well i don't think she's going to lose another major this year but i don't think she's going to let it come down to that stretch where it's you know up to anybody else but her to lose this one so i think tatar is going to kind of get that mental game and take this one like home and then I'm actually kind of rooting for Ricky. Like, I really like his struggle and his big push, his big push to get back into it. He's doing everything he can to get that third one. Um, biasly, I would like to see Eagle, but I haven't really been as impressed with him. Like, this tournament, I think just, you know, some of his upshots where it's just like he's leaving himself short. He's putting, like, a lot of stress on himself. Um, you saw him melt down today. Like, yes, he just sliced his finger, and he and it was more like I think of that than a missed putt. But you can start to see some vulnerability in that mental game, um, which is a struggle, which is why I don't know. He's not my initial choice, but I would like to see him win. I think it's just a matter of time till he wins Worlds. But also, that window might be closing because the competition is just getting up there, you know. And this is definitely like I feel like him and Simon was like this my favorites for this one. And Eagles holding on. So those are my kind of hot, not hot picks. <laughs> I guess that's more like room temperature picks. Yeah, I was going to say like percentage wise of favorites, but you know what? You know what? <laughs> it was fun watching Ricky play today, though, when they like, cut over to him. He was having such a good time. That's, yeah, that's it. Like you look at him yeah. and he's having a blast out there. Yeah. Like he's doing his raptor legs. You saw him from a knee, hop up, run back to the baskets. Like, that's the kind of Ricky I think everybody loves to see, you know, like I really don't want to see Freeman because you still see him cussing around, punching his disc, slamming his disc in the basket. And it's just like, well, that's not the, the, the world champion I want to see right now. You know, I want to see somebody that's out there loving every putt, loving every like minute of it and is willing to battle back. So that's me. Heck yeah. <laughs> Well, I think we're getting close to the end for tonight. We can start our uh, final thoughts. Yeah, no, definitely. Colin, you want to kick us off? Ooh, putting me on the spot. Always. Um, no, I don't want to go first. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I think for tonight, my my important takeaway is that you can make whatever you want out of this game. Like there's, you know, there's people that enjoy it in a bunch of different ways and there's not any wrong way to enjoy this game. So like if you're a guy that wants to make a push and wants to like be a tournament grinder and, you know, like see improvements in your game, then that's awesome. But the other side of things and like not really care about how much better you get and, you know, just really focused on the, f the fun that you have while you play this game. 
that's also okay too. And anywhere in between is also okay. So however you enjoy this game, don't feel like just because one person enjoys it this way that you have to. I think that's, yeah. that's my takeaway for today. Oh, awesome. Josh? Um, I'll piggyback off Colin there. God dang. Um, All right. He just said what Colin said. Let's move on, guys. No. <laughs> <laughs> Piggyback is like slightly there. I'm just like on on him a little bit. Yeah, um, I got. You. So like we heard us talk earlier about the way we practice field work versus me. I just go to the course and throw a little bit of backyard. You know, it doesn't matter where you practice as long as you're seeing improvement. If like no one, you don't have to go do field work if you don't want to, and you could just do field work if you want to. As long as you're seeing progress, do that. And if, if you want to compete in tournaments and do better and do well and move up in the the divisions, if you don't, just go play disc golf and have fun. You don't have to play tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, Cody's the worst. Where's he at? Yeah. Fuck That's Cody. It. We need a new co-host. I am accepting applications at my Facebook. <laughs> um which brings me to my closing thoughts. First of all, it's championship course time. As always, <laughs> championship courses are designed for championship level players. Get it right, guys. Make sure that you know what kind of course you're playing. But for me, I mean, we're starting to push the off season. I think Josh is talking more about this idea of intent. Um, Colin even in a sense of like enjoying it, but it's like what you're doing, be intentional with it. As you approach the off season, if you're being resting, be intentional with it. That doesn't mean to sit on the couch drinking a six-pack and being like, all right, I'm resting up. Let me go and get, you know, I can't wait for it to start back up. Be intentional. Get to the gym. Start eating healthy. Start moving, stretching. You don't even need to touch a disc, you know, but just being intentional with how you're approaching things. So for me, it's just that it's being mindful of it. As you start to approach like this golf and even life in general, being intentional, I think goes a lot further. Um, if you guys can do me a huge favor, like, subscribe, CH Sports. I think Colin does amazing work, but when we start to talk courses like Blue Lakes and uh, Horning's Hideout Meadows and these things, Colin happens to have some film of that. And you can kind of check some of those courses out and see what we're talking about. But also you'll get a glimpse of some of the best golf in the world through these videos and some of these amazing golfers that you probably never heard of, but you buy their discs, like a Proctor. How many people have bought the Max and they don't even know who the guy is? So you'll start to see them play. Are the Withers Gators? How many people love the Withers Gators, but have never seen Scott play? And so by liking and subscribing, Colin, not only are you kind of supporting a fellow minded disc golfer, you're able to start to see in real time some of these disc golfers. And I think that's important, right? I'm always about support, supporting local, supporting those that you know and growing. And I think that's for me what Jammers in the Rough has been about is shining a light on some of these things that you might not know. Um, so with that, also like and subscribe us. Mm-hmm. Um, send me money. And with that, guys, keep jamming in the rough. Mm-hmm.